Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode number 60 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for tuning in and thanks for being here once again. If you're a new time listener, welcome to the show and I hope you enjoy it because we have a good one lined up for you. Now, if you want to help the show, please, if you're listening via iTunes, just rate the show and share as awesome. That really helps the show be seen. And if you're listening via Stitcher or Spotify, just share with friends and get the show out there. That's the best way to help the show out, get more people listening to it and get people off saddles. And on the pedals, that's what we're all about. So if you can do that, guys, and share, I would really appreciate that. Now, if you want to find out a wee bit more about the show, you can go on to the website. It's www.mtb-tribe.com. You'll get show notes on there. You'll get links on there to certain guests. You'll get all the bike episodes. And you can simply stream them from the website or you can download them onto your device or whatever um, and do it that way. So you can check that out. On socials, we are on Instagram and Facebook at MTB Tribe. You can also get in contact there, send me a message. I do read all emails that are sent from the listeners and everything, so I will get back to you if you want to hear more from a guest or a certain topic on the show. Just drop me a line and let me know. Now, on to today's show, which comes from Alaska, and we're chatting to Matt Sanders. Now, Matt done a movie with a gentleman called Dan Renfield and Dan is an Emmy nominated filmmaker and photographer and he was doing a movie about mountain biking in Alaska and stuff like that. There's a few movies going there, you can check them all out, they're available on Amazon Prime and um, if you go to the show notes about this episode and scroll down you'll see a wee, a wee trailer there for it as well. Um, but Dan done an absolutely amazing job, it's a really nice movie. And um, I was blown away with it, to be honest. So I just had to get in contact with Matt. And um, Matt has such a good story. You know, he, he started his, his working career in mountain biking. He went to the army. He had a bad accident. It stopped him biking. But essentially, mountain biking is what brought him back, which gave him the motivation to get better. He wanted to get back out on the bike, and it helped him so much. And we chat to Matt about that, about his past, how he got into mountain biking, how mountain biking has helped him so much through his injury. We also chat to him about the scene in Las Vegas because he is originally from Las Vegas and then moved to Anchorage in Alaska. Um, So we chat to him also about the scene in Alaska, what the trails are like, how it was to work with Dan Redfield um, and all that kind of stuff and the crews that are up there and the trails that are up there and what the guys are doing to keep trails open and also develop more trails. It's very, very interesting. And um, Matt does a lot of volunteer work with kids getting them into mountain biking, etc., etc. So you'll hear all that on the podcast. And it was awesome to get Matt on. I really, really did enjoy it, the chat with him. Um, and they're just, they just seem to be so active up there. I know... The Alaska Facebook mountain bike page is so active. You know, there's people on it all the time. Um, so it's a real good scene. So so have a listen, check it out. And without further ado, let me welcome Matt to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Matt, good evening where you're at, good morning where I'm at. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing excellent, sir. Thanks for having me on this morning slash evening. <laughs> Classic. No, no, you're more than welcome, and thanks so much for coming on. Um, so you're in Alaska. Yeah, uh, way up in Alaska, United States of America. Yeah, so right. you're... Between uh, Canada and Russia. Yeah, you're squashed in there. Is it Anchorage you're from, Matt? I am, yeah. I'm down in Anchorage. So we're right on the coast, right on the beach. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool, pretty cool. And um, you were on a show, and this is why you're on the podcast, really. You were on a show um, called Alaska Photo Adventures from Dan Redfield. Now, Dan's like, he's been an Emmy nominated filmmaker and photographer and stuff like that. Yeah, so he's an uh, he's an Emmy nominated cinematographer and photographer. Do you guys follow the Emmys over there across the pond? Um, we get news from it, you know, we get it on our on our news when it's happening, but it's not a big thing here, not really, I don't think. Ah, well, um, hopefully some people will uh, use that Google machine and and look him up and some of his awesome stuff. But yeah, so Dan um, approached me. Uh, several months ago, uh, actually it was early this spring, we went and rode Moab. Um, I had just got done with one of my latest neck surgeries and on my Monday appointment, which was my 12 weeks, I was like, Hey doc, uh, can I go ride bikes? And he said, you got it. And so Friday we hopped on a plane to Moab. Um, anyway, long story short was, uh, we were posting some, some movies of riding down in Moab and Dan had seen the videos online and contacted me and we started talking about some ideas um, on what we could do for Alaska mountain biking because he had this new idea for a show that got picked up from Amazon Prime and um, yeah and that was uh, that was kind of the start of it. Yeah happy days and yeah his shows are available on Amazon Prime and I think they were released September time or something like that. Yeah, so he just got picked up by Amazon Prime, and the mountain bike episode was the third episode. Uh, his fourth episode should be dropping here pretty soon. Um, but his whole theory of the like the whole his whole point of the show is to educate people on um, some of the coolness of Alaska, also educate people on the history of a certain area, and then on photography in general. So he's a super you know like we just talked about awesome photographer, and so he'll stop during. Um, these shoots and we'll give explicit examples of you know what lens he's using what kind of background light and blah 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 i'm not a photographer so i can't speak any more <laughs> on that but <laughs> he uh yeah so it's a, a cool way of educating photographers so it encompasses a, a pretty wide audience yeah and so I, I must admit his stuff is amazing i've watched the three movies and um his stuff's really really good the light and all he gets is unreal and the and you know this is the thing for not being a mountain bike photographer for say some of the images he got to use guys and the angles he was picking up were really really excellent <laughs> yeah dude we uh i i was laughing with him when he had us over um to watch the the movie and i was like man i was I was kind of worried, to be honest with you, Dan, because, like, you were just standing in every corner, like, basically. Like, it just seemed like he was standing still in every corner and, like, in weird, like, the same level. It's going to be the same shot the whole time. But, uh, yeah, I was I was blown away. And everything that you saw was um, shot one time, so we didn't re-ride anything. Everything was shot first time go. So 
that was another cool thing that he was able to actually capture everything. Uh, the first time there wasn't any of that stupid, you know, fake in the funk and mm-hmm. let the camera do the magic. Yeah. And uh, I love the outtakes at the end. Very, very funny. <laughs> oh, man. We had some funny ones. Yeah, the powerhouse. Uh, so one of the funny things about the movie is at the very beginning when we introduced the bike in that mine area is we were actually filming a bunch of free ride stuff in there. And so I was jumping off of rocks and climbing up some uh, hills with rocks on top and track standing and track standing on this bridge with the big waterfall going on. And we're doing all this really awesome stuff and um, had a sequence. He was working on some kind of fancy photography thing where he's able to keep filming an image with the background. So I was basically had a wheelie in front of him um, for like, 20 feet long and had to do that about a dozen times back to back to back to back to back. And as we're walking out after filming in there for about three hours of playing around and we're walking out and we see this sign. And so he starts taking like a, some video of this sign to put in for maybe some B roll video and at the very bottom in super fine print says no bicycles, no rollerblades, no skateboarding. (laughs) And so all of that had to get cut. Oh, you're joking me. Oh, no. And it was, as you could see from that area with all those dilapidated buildings, like there just was going to be some pretty rad shots of uh, some riding, but they all got cut. Oh, well, man. Oh, well, that's that's the game. But I, I think the introduction with Dan on your bike and introducing himself as you was quite funny anyway, so that worked. Oh, thanks for bringing me back on track. Yeah, so that's exactly. I, what's so funny about that is that was all done on the whim, right? There was no plan for that. But I have a three-year-old son, and he still thinks Dan is me. So every time the, he has to watch the video, and he starts seeing Dan on there, and he thinks it's me. And uh, There's not a lot of people that understand that we were different people, so I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> oh, really? Cheers. <laughs> Oh dear, that was funny. Right, well, we'll get into that a wee bit more because I want to chat to you about your trails and the scene and all you have going on there um, from the mountain bike last bit. Yeah, totally. Um, but let's talk a wee bit about yourself because you have got um, you've got quite a interesting background. Um, oh. Just just tell us a wee bit about your background and I want to speak to you as well about your BMX because you started on the BMX, didn't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. So my uh, long story short is I got a 1998 Mongoose Menace um, right before my freshman year in high school. And uh, it was chrome with red decals. And I remember it vividly. And that was my freshman year in high school. And I picked up my bike, my BMX bike, and never put a bike down. Uh, So... From that moment on, we're dirt jumping and then doing a bunch of street riding. And um, being in Vegas, we had a lot of skate parks. Las Vegas is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And being from Las Vegas, we had a lot of skate parks and a lot of good street riding for the BMX. And so we had a lot of the big players that would come in to film their um, mountain bike videos. You know, back in the day, it wasn't just edits; it was full-on, you know, films. And uh, yeah, so we got to start riding with all these dudes and just had a ball of the time. And then Jared picked me up, um, actually, so then I had my BMX bike. And then the, my first bike shop gig was I got a flat tire, and on, it was on a Sunday morning. We went to go ride, and 
uh, I needed a tube and our local bike shop was closed. So I had to go to the, one of our other local bike shops and buy a tube. And he says, Hey, uh, I was like, can I borrow your stand? And he says, yeah, go for it. So I borrowed the stand and get everything done. And once I finished, he says, Hey, uh, do you want a job? And I said, uh, yeah, sign me up. And so 16 years old and I got a job at my first bike shop, uh, strictly because I needed to buy a tube and I was able to wrench on my bike in front of them and they basically laid that foundation because I had never even shifted a bike um, <laughs> until that point. So and was there for about a year before I got into um, Las Vegas cyclery down in Las Vegas, Nevada. I managed the service shop and sales down there for um, many years up until I joined the Army. And uh, what was the question again? Well, I was just wanting to know your background, really, but that that's interesting about being in Las Vegas cycling. So, what was the that was around? Was that around the mid two thousands? That had been yeah. So I got in, yeah, I got into Jared's shop uh, two thousand and three or four, and got to start you know with him right as he was progressing the Las Vegas cycling, and so it was a little um, too sweet. Uh, in like a strip mall it was very small and we had actually just expanded to those two suites and over the years just watching mountain bikes progress and uh in the shop seeing the clientele and the types of bikes advancing and just the that growth was an organic growth for the shop as well so we ended up having to get the next two suites over as soon as they became available. And I worked a drug deal. Well, not really a drug deal, but with the, uh, <laughs> the landlord to get us those two suites and kick the cleaner people out. But yeah. And then expand to what we have now. And, um, and then, yeah. And so then I left the Las Vegas cycle, which was just an, an awesome shop. Great group of people, um, gave so much back to our trail systems that are back there. So we've got 125 miles of single tr- of legal single track right outside in Red Rock, and uh, so we constantly clean that. You know, um, put carcinites in the ground, like the trailhead markers and the stickers, and um, everything was primarily the most of it was done from uh, ourselves, right? So there was no wow. Your bike advocacy groups down there, and so it was just all local dudes that wanted to ride and gave back. So mm. that's um, so was the scene really growing around that time in Las Vegas? Then the mountain bike scene. Man, yeah, that mountain bike scene blew up. I would say probably uh, mid two thousands to mid two thousands. I would say you'd start seeing like two thousand five era, two thousand six era. We start seeing the mountain biking just really progress um, from your handful of weekend uh, warriors to like a handful of serious dudes that are going out every morning at six o'clock to beat the 90 degree heat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so by the end of the 2010 era, that's when the, you know, in the industry, we started seeing all these $10,000 mountain bikes come out and just the industry kind of, uh, artificially deflated its own value by getting those regular price bikes out of reach of most of our uh clients and so just that kind of stopped the growth locally but 
now it's you have a lot more people that are um, actively getting engaged and fighting for more trail usage and building trails. And I just got done riding out there. I ride there almost every time I go home. Um, but there must be another hundred miles of illegal single track right out mm. there. So we've got 250 miles of single track right out the doors of Las Vegas. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, that's crazy. And are they call the cowboy trails. Ah, the cowboy trails. Yes, so the cowboy trails are one of our, um, <laughs> our our trails that we started building many moons ago, and um, I have lots of funny stories about that place. But uh, <laughs> so, do you know about cowboy trails? Have you ever rode no, there? No, no. So cowboy trails are rent. It's a land, and they're called the cowboy trails because there's some cowboy outfitter that rents that land from the blm for about 365 bucks it's a dollar a day and they rent out that land from the blm and they run their horse tours out there and they demolish the environment and so we're, we're, they go triple wide all the time just because the mat trail gets too big then they're going to the next ridge and all of a sudden our fingers are covered with um i don't know how you guys say them actually uh but like where our ridges are on the mountains where we have the fingers like the draws that go up into the the mountain um those things are just littered with double wide and triple wide horseback trails and um just watching what it was doing to the earth and, and the rocks and then the animals that were involved in that um we started trying to work with them to get them to minimize their uh Trail, I would say, uh, what, I don't even know the good word for it. Yeah, just they were bad etiquette. Destroy- yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And then, uh, and then that just created animosity. So then, when we started seeing them, you know, horses have a right of way, um, and so we're getting off the bikes so that they don't get spooked. And then one thing leads to another, and no, nobody on either side can keep their mouth shut. And uh, <laughs> so then. Uh, one day it came to a head because we were trying to fight the BLM to get those trails legalized. And that's when we found out about the, the leasing out that land for the Cowboys company to be out there. And, um, so the next time we went out there, the, one of the main guys was looking for us. So as soon as we showed up to the parking lot and took off on the Hill, here he comes flying, flying behind us. And, Starts getting to a, we get into a verbal altercation and uh, nothing worse. We take off. We are the better men. And we walk away and uh, the next morning at the shop, uh, after we got done with our morning ride, there was a pig that was left on our doorstep of the shop. Oh, wow! And so he, uh, we always had the shop logo van, so very easy to identify when we're riding out there. And so then they just threw a a dead hog in 110 degree heat out in front of the shop and so by the time we got back from riding um this thing was already pretty bloated and swelling and it took like five hours for animal control to finally show up with a front loader so they could put it in the back of a flatbed and uh as they're rolling the the forklift down the pig rolls out and hits the bed of the flatbed and literally bursts all of their pig juice all over the parking lot um, and it just reeked for months after that. 
But wow. so then it became a game because now it was open. Oh, now you guys got us pretty good. So now how are we going to get you? And so uh, <laughs> that was. I'll only say one more so we could be even since we just kind of ratted them out for the pig. So then we went and bought a big, huge bike lock from uh, like one of those big uh, moving locks from Target. And we were able to lock their metal fence uh, and their gate with our lock so that they didn't have keys to get it open. And they were locked inside their own little fortress for however long <laughs> until they were pulled apart. But, oh, dear. It's a good story, huh? Yeah, it was good until they started stealing our tools because then we started leaving our rakes and stuff out there and trying to hide them. Uh, and they would just, they must have been glassing us off of the uh, hill. And all of a sudden, our tools that were, you know, way off trail, and no one would know, they started disappearing. Mm. And did it ever come to an end? Did you ever get an agreement? It did, yeah. So um, one of the one of the folks from the Las Vegas Cyclery went over and talked with their head guy and literally it was over a coffee one morning and then they squashed it and no more beef it was pretty rad well that's good at least to end it at least to end it and you guys can go out and ride them trails now and are the trails in better condition and what ways it work so now those trails are way awesome because they, we were able to address our concerns with them going triple wide they reduced their output and so they're um they only had certain sections now that they would go and do um, like do off the double wide and triple wide. So they were doing really good. Um, and well, I don't remember what the question was now. <laughs> the, uh, I just, no. I hope you, the, the trails were good and a lot better to ride now and stuff. Yes. So those trails are awesome now. And so lots of, um, reduction in the over waste of those horse tracks. And then, We've been able to expand from that point in time. We were only probably at about seven miles of single track, which now we're at about 14 plus out there. So we've got some wicked riding. Very technical, lots of baby heads um, all over the place. Rocks, gardens that you're having to ride up. Um, but lots of fun on the down, which is my favorite. But Yeah. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. So let's chat a wee bit, Matt, if you don't mind, about your army career then because it plays yeah. a big part in the movie. Um, <laughs> just tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so um, I was, uh, it was like, it was the very end of 2007, and I was working, you know, with Las Vegas Side 3, and I was 24 years old, and I said, hey, you know what, it's time for a change, and um, I want to give back to my my country before I keep giving back to my little, you know, my local community. And so I went into the army for three years and, uh, did, uh, what I thought was going to be my three year stint, but ended up staying in for, uh, almost 10 years. And yeah. And so then, uh, as an airborne infantryman, and so jump out of planes and we go, uh, do the infantry, um, cool guy, fun stuff. So, it was pretty awesome, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and so you you weren't mountain biking at that time, I take it, but you, you you do talk a wee bit about missing it and stuff like that. Yeah, man. So when when I joined the army, I sold everything I had. So I don't I don't have any regrets regrets in life, uh, but I do have one that's almost a regret, which was I sold every bicycle. I owned at that point before I joined the army. Uh, 
And uh, my whole goal was, hey, I'm going to join the Airborne Infantry. I'm going to get stationed in Italy. I'm going to live there for two years, and I'll be done. It'll be awesome, and I'll be able to get some Italian road bikes and blah, 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 blah. And um, who doesn't want a Pinarello, right? And so uh, mm-hmm. actually there's a million of them. Uh, but mm-hmm. and then I got stationed in Alaska. And so then um, just between all of the high-up tempos and doing deployments and trainings, I wasn't able to get back onto a bike until 2012-ish. And so it was, I was away from the bike for, um, about four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were still in the army when you got back on the bike. So were you taking bikes, mountain bikes out in missions with you and stuff? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So the, with all of our training, it was just figuring out ways, you know, we don't have in the army, you don't have like a, it's not a typical nine to five job. So we had to be there at four forty-five every morning. We would be there till six, seven o'clock at night. And then, you know, that's when we were here locally, that's not, you know, going out to the field and training for two weeks and then coming back for a week and going back out to the field or anything. So, um, you just had to get smart with it, which so what I started doing was traveling with my bike. So anywhere the army sent me, um, I was able to dismantle my bike and get it into what looked like a hard case, briefcase, <laughs> yada, 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 but um, looked military official enough and was able to sneak my bike uh, into those boxes on the planes and go all over. So, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, I could just imagine that. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wish I would have been able to have uh, you know one of these bikes with us and the freedom to be able to ride like when we're in Afghanistan because Afghanistan was beautiful country man tons of awesome mountains where we were at um we were right on like Afghanistan and Pakistan border and um down south and it was just beautiful 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 country and all I could think of while while I was there was I wish I had my mountain bike which is (laughs) followed by how when I joined the army and I left on my bikes because I sold everything and then I literally get the basic training, you know, the boot camp where they're yelling at you and all I can do is I'm, as I'm doing pushups with my face in the mud, you know, down, up, down, I can just look at the trails through these woods and I'm like, man, I wish I had a, my bike here. <laughs> so I can com- just, yeah. Oh cool. man, I can, I can just imagine you jumping out the out a plane or something with uh, your bike strapped to your back, you know <laughs> Oh man, I'm sending it down in a little case with me. It's it's dropping. <laughs> you know that's Brilliant. how mountain bikes started, right? Go ahead. Sorry. Did you, did you know that's how mountain bikes started? Tell us. Go on. With the Buffalo Soldiers. So there was a. Uh, had, are you familiar with the Buffalo Soldiers? No. Yeah. So the Buffalo Soldiers. They were an all black. African American unit from the U.S. Army, and they were made famous. They were called Buffalo Soldiers um, as a nickname from Native Americans, um, and so they were they honored. They took that as an honor, and so they kept their name. And these Buffalo Soldiers, one of the units, was tasked out to ride bicycles, which then turned into mountain bikes across the mountains all the way from Fort Missoula, Montana, all the way to Yellowstone National Park. Wow. So they had to traverse all those, the Rockies on a bicycle. Um, and so when you get to read into all of their, their, uh, story about doing that and 
1897, you'll be able to realize that some of those days they would um, they would have covered a thousand miles in 21 days, and other days they would only be able to go for like 200 feet because the the terrain was so steep, and so it took all day for them to get over these ridges. So yeah, and and did they develop a bike specifically for that or? No, they just took a bicycle, um, and then they ripped. They took off um, seats, and they basically made them like pack mules, which we would call today's term like the bike packing. Mm. So very much bike packing, where they were used. They were utilizing that bicycle as a uh, mode of transport, teaming goods. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's an interesting story because I've never heard that before. You know, it all yeah, comes think- from the guys gunning it downhill in california or wherever and yeah if you're um if if you want if you get time just google buffalo soldiers who rode bikes and you'll be Mm -hmm. able to get to a plethora of articles on them wow interesting very and see some pictures of them it's pretty rad cool man cool it's good to know the history um so tell us a wee bit then matt about your jump injury will you because i know mountain biking helped you through that and stuff boy did it um or actually let's just say is it um yeah so my last jump was uh it was very ironic because i had just got accepted into flying to go into flight school for the army so i can go fly their uh, black hawk helicopters and i was jumping out of a black hawk helicopter and it was during a season that we called breakup so it's right in between winter and spring and so um what we have is a free a freeze thaw cycle, and so the snow will melt, but then at night it'll get so cold it'll freeze over. And so on the this last jump that we had done, um, we had got pushed out of the uh, aircraft a little early, so we all started running across the sky just to try to get onto that drop zone. Um, and unfortunately, it was the very entrance of the you know one mile um, area is what we're dropping into, and so we had just made a very um, you know, farthest side of this one mile, uh, so 1.2 kilometer uh, distance, and it was all covered with fresh snow, and so it looked flat. And when I landed with my feet, my feet just ended up puncturing through um, a sheet of solid ice, and I went into a pond. Oh. And so. Yeah, and so when my feet punctured through the ice, my whole body was still moving, and it just basically did a huge whiplash and uh, um, caused a, a bunch of damage. Uh, the knees were just swollen; they called it jumper knees. So my tendons got a little stretched, but then uh, did some disc damage on my L5 S1. So major annular tears um, of the L5 S1, L5 L4. And then, um, yeah, the uh, major annular tear, the rupture, and then so like the when uh, that was was splitting out into the uh, sciatic nerve, it was causing just extreme uh, pains of like radiation going down the legs, and um, my feet were numb and couldn't feel anything, and um, my crotch started going numb, and then in the neck, I um, I forget what kind of compression it's called but they compressed two of those discs and so they had um 
I forget what that damage is called. I'm sorry, man. It's so late. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's crunch. Uh, the, uh, they had, uh, anyway, so they had to go and remove the discs and, you know, they're fusing them together and putting, uh, in the neck, I got the, uh, what's it called? Uh, artificial disc replacements. They did a two level artificial disc replacement this last November in my neck. And, uh, wow. Um, yeah. So, so that changed things dramatically for you just in that one instant. Yeah. So, literally that that one instance, uh, which if I was two seconds earlier or two seconds later, I might have been able to miss that pawn. Changed my entire life because we were get we were literally I just got accepted to go into flight school, um, and so now it's. Hey, you can't go to flight school because you're broken. You got to get fixed. And so the army was really great. They were working with me and getting me, you know, back into shape and doing the surgeries and getting up the help um, to get back on track. And uh, but there was just it was just too limiting. So they ended up saying that you know uh, we tried to fix you, but we couldn't. So you got to go. And they mm-hmm. retired me. So. Wow. And so how did that affect you mentally, Matt? Was that really tough for you? Had you a plan B if things didn't work out in the army or? So that's the, that's where mountain biking really is my solstice because mentally that's, you know, at, at that point we were seven years into my army career and, you know, we knew we had another 13 to 20 more good years left. Um, and then we're, you know, to be selected to go into flight school and to be able to have that honor and, uh, be able to have the experiences that I already had, like I just had so much to look forward to. And so, um, to have it all taken away, um, and was a bummer, you know, it was a gut shot, but then you have to start worrying about your family. Hey, how am I going to put food on the table for my family and keep the roof over their head? And, um, and then you start realizing all the you know, the, the physical pains that, you know, a job used to take you, you know, an hour to do around the house is now taking you three hours because you've got to stop so much and you can't work in the, the way that you used to be able, you're not as pliable and movable. So you, you have to be very timid and careful because you don't want to abrogate those, uh, injuries again. And so it just, that played a huge, uh, mental aspect where, you had to work hard. You had to look inside to find happiness and maybe purposefully looking for the good. Um, and that's where the mountain biking and me just got the click again. Cause I was able to use mountain biking as that outlet. Cause while I'm riding, I don't think I just get to do it clears my head. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, it's, no, I, I, I think you put that beautifully because it, it's very true when you come from such an active lifestyle like you have led to an injury like that and then all of a sudden you're inside the house like you say everything takes longer to do and it really does mentally play on you so you put that really really nicely there actually and um, I'm just coming off a small injury compared to yours I broke my clavicle there about 10 weeks ago and I've I've found it mentally challenging to actually look for the good and find the good because everything seems to take so long your recovery um but yeah. as you you put it there you know you had to physically look for the good within it and yeah that's really nicely put and uh i'm just so interested in how you got over that because you're doing so well now so <laughs> i laugh because uh 
if you could only be a, you know, it's all perspective, right? So you, people see me bike riding, like, oh man, you're doing great. Well, yeah, but like, I still can't sleep at night, right? So like, I sleep on yeah. the couch because it keeps me confined to where I'm not moving around. Because if I, when I'm sleeping, I'm not keeping that core tight, and um, all those nerves get pinched again and shoot, you know, things through my leg. And so on the outside, it does look like I'm doing well. And I am doing well. I, I feel good. Um, but I'm definitely not in the, in, you know, uh, I would say my writing shape that I want to be in. I had all winter off because of the surgery. And then, uh, during that film we shot, I actually ended up having a hand injury from that little stupid crash and that really easy walk. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because of the, the, the injuries I have to, like, when I crash, like that's subconsciously in the back of my brain, like don't crash on the neck. Oh, don't crash on the back. Oh, wait, watch out for your knees. Oh, and your ankles. Right. And so like, what's what was my natural reaction after 20 years of being on two wheels was to put my wrist out and uh <laughs> yeah so i ended up cracking a few bones and uh had some partial tears and ligaments and a bunch of soft tissue damage so i actually haven't been on the bike in about three months now so in the last 12 months of riding i've only been able to do two and a half months of riding so it's been uh again yeah. Uh, gotta look for those good things and you know using the training programs because you got to be stuck in the gym like i know you had to do some gym time the last uh, few weeks with your clavicle mm-hmm. how'd you I mean, what do you think about going to the gym yeah well i've just started i've just been getting exercises from the physiotherapist um which you can do at home and i'm doing them and it, you have to do it a couple of times a day and it's painful while you're doing it obviously because you're trying to stretch and get more movement under the shoulder and stuff um but yeah i'm actually going to try and join the gym next week and do a bit of leg work get a bit of cardio because i have done nothing i've done nothing for let me see <laughs> june july oh september october i've done nothing for five months man. oh man we should get we should have a reunion next week i'm going i'm, I'm going down south and so uh, i'm taking my bike you should meet me in arizona and we can go do some uh, south mountain riding <laughs> that'd be awesome but i'm unfortunately stuck in malta at the minute <laughs> um at least it's warm here that's one nice thing um but yeah it's difficult and i i have had my i used to play i'm originally from ireland northern ireland yeah you moved you moved over there for your fiance's job yeah that that's that's correct yeah but when i was in ireland before i got into mountain biking and surfing and all that i played american football oh no way yeah so I have loads of injuries from that now. They are yeah. resurfacing. <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. I, I've had my fair share of injuries. You know, I broke ribs. I've tore cartilage in my chest. I've broken fingers. I've done all that kind of stuff, you know. But the clavicle has been the worst because oh, man. it's just totally done. I just, you know, I'm getting I, better now. I'm getting stronger. But before that, I couldn't do anything. I was, just, I was just housebound. It was doing my head in. Have, have you got to the... Have you got to the point yet where you're putting on your shirt and then you repop it and it recracks? Have you done that yet? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Well, I hope you don't have to experience that. <laughs> no, I've been very good. I had to actually oh, go out and buy it. Actually, right? I got it pinned, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. When I looked at the x-ray, they've actually a wee tail thing on the plate so that it won't pop out from below the shoulder. Oh, they've cool. kind of pinned it in below the shoulder blade as well. For where I broke mine, I broke mine just very close to the shoulder blade kind of thing. 
So now we'll stay down and not pop into that shoulder, that rotator. Yeah, nice. yeah. So, but we're getting better. We're getting better, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me, Matt, when you first went on, I want to just know your experience because I'm going to experience this at some stage in the new year. When you first went back on the bike after your surgery and your injuries and all, how nervous were you at that stage? Oh man, I wasn't nervous at all. It was such a high. Uh, really it was um my first ride back so it was in i was in <laughs> so we, we flew into denver to drive to moab and my i had like a 12-hour flight from alaska to denver i had like a three-hour layover in seattle and my bike got lost in seattle and then uh, um so we were supposed to ride in grand junction and blah, blah blah so long story short my first ride was the new navajo trails in um Moab, they're a very super cross country trail and uh, heaven. So it wasn't even my style of riding because it was very, it's very uh, cross country. There's not a lot of challenge and technical or fast or anything. And um, it was just pure bliss. So, mm. but seven, seven miles later, and I couldn't feel my butt cheeks anymore. And Luckily, that was the halfway point to go, and I we were back at the parking lot. So I said, "Hey, you guys can keep going. I'm going to chill." And uh, <laughs> it was hard to even get my butt into the seat of the truck. So I recommend mm-hmm. taking your seat off the bike and sitting on it uh, when you're eating breakfast and dinner. <laughs> and start getting some saddle time anywhere you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm maybe going to try and do that in the gym. <laughs> oh, that's clever, actually. Uh, cool. So. Yeah, so you got back on the bike, and then did you feel that you had lost much of your technique or anything like that? How did you feel? Were you were you did you quickly get back to so, your standard? So I had you know, so I basically had two gaps, right? So I had um, the the first gap was when I joined the army, and so not so I was about four years, and then um, about a year after um, the accident, and so which was about four years ago. The um, so the first gap difference was larger. So when I joined the army, I actually had a more challenging time getting back into bike riding physically than I did after the injuries. Um, mm. And so, and that was a direct result of keeping that high intensity. So when we were doing PT, it wasn't just doing, you know, obviously it was doing the strength training. Um, so you can do the rehab. But we were incorporating, you know, work, different exercises to keep the intensity up, and so that intensity directly transferred into the actual mountain bike riding. Not like they were the same, so I'd, please don't take that wrong. They're not the same at all, but the transition was so much more smooth than that first gap of not riding bikes. So mm-hmm. keep that intensity up. I I would think definitely will yeah benefit yeah good advice good advice now so back to now then um you're obviously not riding at the minute because you're a hand injury but um you're doing work as now you're doing work as a mechanic as a bike mechanic is that right yeah so i got um you know when i got back into mountain bike riding um that circa 2012 we I, i wanted to get back into it uh as, as most as I could. Um, and so one of the ways I was able to give back was by starting to get involved with the community. Um, and so doing local trail support, um, days, 
I volunteered with a couple of youth groups. Um, one of them is like a, a juvenile delinquency center um, up here in Anchorage called uh, the McLaughlin Youth Center. And so what we what I got to do was um, be at a local nonprofit um, co-op for bicycles. It's called Off the Chain Bicycle Co-op. And they would bring those kids over and I would teach them about bikes. And so we'd start stripping them down so they can learn about the different ways of recycling the materials to what you should look for, for good parts and bad parts. Um, and then those kids that had that aptitude of being mechanic, we took aside and I got to start teaching them how to actually work on bikes. And the co-op's mission was to get bicycles ready. So that way, um, people in the community that needed bikes to get as for transport, which isn't very popular in America. So a lot of people don't, you know, unless they live in a a very big city, they don't ride bicycles for transportation. Mm -hmm. And so it's typically the people that are doing it in America are the people who are, um, can't quote unquote afford a car. And so the co-ops, uh, off the chains co-op mission was to get the, bikes going um for those people who needed bikes for transportation and then we had the kids that were coming in and helping and learn and then it's just it was a really cool circle because then the people actually came in to go buy the bike and you just get to see it from inception and the way it worked was pretty rad um yeah so i got back into it any way i could i mean i as you could probably tell i'm I don't actually know. You probably can't tell because I'm so tired right now, but um, <laughs> I get super stoked on it, man. I just want to go do more. And so then, uh, yeah, so then we started coaching with, um, uh, there's a group in town called Mighty Bikes, which is a youth organization that during the summertime, twice a week, we take these kids out um, and it's limited at about 200 kids. Um, and it's a season, so they have to show up for all of the events, but two hours a day twice a week um, throughout the summer and we take them mountain bike riding and teach them mountain bike skills and um, how to handle mountain bikes. And um, I'm in the second from the fastest group, which um, <laughs> I was like, I was almost ready to pull my wallet out and go buy an e-bike because trying to keep up with these kids uh, <laughs> is super challenging. They're so fast. Um, the uh, yeah. And, uh, and so then when I found out, you know, that they were going to kick me out of the army, uh, it, it's, it takes a, when I found out that they were going to, um, you know, retire me from the army, I decided to, um, start applying for shops locally. And before I could even apply to any of them, um, there was a shop in town that said, Hey man, we'd love to have you. And, um, yeah, I got hired, and I've been working there uh, since I got out of the army. They were, and they've been awesome because they hired me really before I even got officially out of the army. So, um, which is during their busiest time of the year during springtime. So, they were working with the army schedule, and then I was coming in when I could. And so, yeah, I'm back into it. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Um, and you're doing a a university master's in arts of teaching as well? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I'm going to the university for exactly the master's of arts in teaching. So I can be a high school teacher. I'd like to teach English literature. Yeah, cool. 
Cool, man. So you, you've, you're switched on anyway. You're keeping busy and you're not letting your injury hold you back or you're not playing on it or anything. So mm. sounds great. The only thing that's holding me back is my wallet because I have too much time to play on the computer and buy new new bits that I don't really need. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Right, so let's chat about your local trails then because I'm, I'm super interested in the movie. That trail you just read in the movie, is that a local trail for you or...? Yeah, so that's not – I wouldn't call that one a local trail. It's um, – in the movie, we shot in an area called Hatcher Pass, and Hatcher Pass is about an hour um, to an hour and 15 minutes north of Anchorage on the highway. So it's a, it's kind of a jaunt. But um, that trail in Hatchers, we also rode at, up at Summit Lake, which was where the um, – that aerial footage of me riding through some of the – pretty mountains where I was by myself. Mm, um, yeah. That was on the backside of that hatchers. So, and there's some single track kind of all over. Um, most of this, all of the single track that you'll see in that video was all legal single track though. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so that was, that was down through Hatcher Pass, that trail, was it? It was in Hatcher Pass, but locally where I, where I ride, probably 95% of the time is in our local bike park called Kincaid and that's K I N C A I D. Yeah. And is that like a trail center? Is that a purpose bike park? Yeah. So it's a multi-use park that's done by the city of Anchorage and which we actually call the municipality of Anchorage. And so Anchorage has this, big 1800 acre park that's filled with um hiking biking uh disc golf do you guys have like do you guys know what disc golf is yeah yeah i know what disc i don't think we have it here maybe a few places but yeah i know what it is yeah and there's recreational fishing and uh but just all kinds of awesome things to do in this park and it's surrounded 270 degrees of it is ocean and so while you're actually doing the single track mountain bike riding when you get to the ends you get these epic ocean views with the huge alaska mountains that are all green in the summertime and um some of them have white snow at the very top and it's just super rad mm, um very, tons very of cool. wildlife up here like where we're riding at in kincaid there's tons of, you can almost if you ride kincaid and you don't see a moose or um a bear you've done something wrong because there are so <laughs> many of them. <laughs> yeah, cool. Have you ever seen any Sasquatch? You know, um, I have not seen the Bigfoot himself. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been waiting, man. I've been waiting. I've got my GoPro on all the time. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so what are the trails like? Are they, would you say they're more enduro? Is there downhill sections? What, what kind of stuff do you ride there? Yeah, so the where we're at down here in Anchorage, we've got predominantly um, buffed out single tracks, so it's more cross country esque, um, very fast and flowy, dirt, tight lines in the woods, a um, bunch of just rollers, and then in the park itself, we'll have a couple of um, black diamond sections that are just really fast downhill sections that have some jumps and uh some wood features and tabletops and um just some of the more fun stuff like uh some people like to ride um mm. 
but it was just not enough. So we actually been working really hard with um, mountain bike advocacy team, single track advocates teamed up with Gravity Logic, who are the creators of uh, the Whistler mountain bike trails. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gravity Logic came in and, and they actually scouted all these trails for us. And then this summer we had a huge expansion. So we've got three more miles of um, super intense, I would say, for sure, like all mountain pushing that free ride trail mm-hmm. right here locally. 10 minute drive away. It's pretty awesome. Wow, that's cool. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, and if them guys are doing it, they're going to do an awesome job because what they have done with Whistler is unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah, and you know, they're developing the back side of Whistler now as well. And they're going to add like another third of the trail again in the back side of Whistler. I just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's the, uh, I mean, it's the new Moab, right? Like that's where everyone wants to go. Yeah, oh, I would say to be honest now, Matt, Whistler is it's the center of the the universe for mountain biking. Oh, really. <laughs> it is. It's everything's there. Yeah, it's so cool, so cool. So, um, can you ride all year? Where well, you're so now at? I actually have a question. So, in yeah, across the pond, um, you guys don't see Moab as the mecca of mountain biking anymore. No, I think. I think over here you would really have to be into it to I'm sure a lot of the mountain bikers here don't even know of Moab. Really? I'll be honest. Yeah. No way. You know. No, like Whistler is because and, and this is because we see it see over here in the T V the networks we get and the feeds we get here, we'll see crankworks from Whistler, you know, and you get you see that kind of stuff. So I think it really promotes Whistler big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and off the back of snowboarding and skiing, there'd be quite a lot of people from the UK would go snowboarding and skiing and stuff. And obviously, Whistler's a big That's concern true. for that as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, man, I think people here just want... I think Whistler would be on their bucket list. That would be their their one area to go to. So what about, like, Red Bull Rampage in a couple of weeks? Is everyone getting stoked for that or what? Um, again, I'm not sure if it's a massive thing here or not. Interesting. Um, we get Red Bull TV here, but you have to. The, the problem is you have to pay for it. So yeah. we pay for a TV license, which gets you your terrestrial channels. But if you want Red Bull TV or something like that, you've got to pay extra. Yeah. So a lot of guys just don't do it, you know. Um, yeah. But we, yeah, that's cool. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say yeah. We cut the cable, so we in America we have the you know traditionally it's either satellite or it's cable, and the cable company just they kept raising their rates and you know, we weren't even really watching TV. So we cut the cable. It's a saying here. We cut the cable, meaning we don't get TV anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite similar to here. I think a lot of guys are sky. We would get what's called sky TV and a lot of guys are just canceling it because it's too expensive. Yeah. It's crazy you know, expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually snowboarded in Utah, um, about four or five years ago. And we're at park city. Um, yeah, I was in Park City. We'd done about five or six resorts. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so we stayed. I have a friend lives out there, um, and we stayed with him, and then we just, there was four of us came over from Ireland, and we just headed out and done four or five different, we were there for two weeks, so we just traveled around, you know. Oh, that's um, awesome, man. 
but believe it or not, Nick, who we stayed with, was gutted because it was the worst snow conditions they had had in like 70 years or something. Oh, wait, worst <laughs> meaning it was the most snowfall or the least snowfall? No, it was the least snowfall. Oh, yeah. no. And he was got it because he's been bigging up Utah for me, to me for like 10 years. Utah's <laughs> the best. It's the best. <laughs> like, man, we were, we were in Salt Lake City in... Uh, it must have been about 18 or 19. We were walking about in shorts and T-shirts. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not the Alaska snow, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, oh. definitely. So do you guys, can you just ride all year then on the trails? Yeah, you know, so we we do ride year-round on our trails. Um, the, do you guys, are fat bikes pretty, you, you guys know? Yeah, yeah, bikes, yeah, yeah. So our fat bikes here are, um, a couple of the the pioneers for fat biking brands are actually from Anchorage, Alaska. And mm. Can we say brands are on TV? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what are they? Yeah, so a couple of the brands uh, for fat biking that are the pioneers of fat biking are made locally here in Anchorage, and they're um, 907 bikes and fatback bikes. And mm. because those guys are right here in Anchorage, they've been on that forefront of making – badass fat bikes for they're the they're the innovators they're the apple they're the ones that are keep pushing the technology um and got us to where our fat bikes are today um and then it became a you know industry-wide thing where everyone had to have a, a fat bike just like everyone had to have an e, has to have an e-bike now and, um yeah so we used literally our fat bike gets used about six months of the year um because wow. we ride six to eight months through the fall slash springtime, and then we have to stop and let that ground um, completely thaw and dry out before we can even start riding mountain bikes. So our mountain bike season is really short. Our mountain bike season is probably only about three, and maybe four months if we have a good summer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the. Uh, yeah, so our fat bikes are what keeps us riding year-round up here in Alaska. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. And you know, it's cool that you let the you let the uh, trails thaw, and because that's that's a problem we have back home in Ireland when it's so it's wet. wet. Um, a lot, yeah, a lot of the guys will go in the trails, especially some of the local ones to me, um, which are just they're not managed or anything. They're just you know um, they're not proper trail centers as such. They're just they're just single track that guys use um but they get so caught up over the winter it's unbelievable you know and then you can't really use them in the summer then because they're just direct you know and that's where it's really important to get your like-minded individuals together to help take care of your trails so like what we did in vegas it was you know it was the group of enthusiasts that we used that area that we took care of that land um but now i've seen the opposite spectrum now which is an organized group of individuals that are coming together as a collective and then are advocating for those mountain bike trails and because they're a organization and there's great communication and now it's so easy with the technology um and so hey we're doing a trail building event and all of a sudden you've got 15 25 people showing up to go do this one mile stretch of trail well what would have taken you two days worth of uh cleaning is now getting done in an hour and so you get to go pop a beer and go for a quick ride like it's awesome so i would yeah. i would definitely say if your listeners are out there and 
you guys are around areas where there isn't a, uh, well, first of all, check out to see if there's any local advocacy groups that you can be a part of. And if there isn't, you should start one. Um, go into the shop, start talking about having a group that is going to be able to take care of these trails and just be good stewards of the land. Um, you, it's, you reap what you sow. So if you put in the time and effort to um, clean up some of these trails, the next thing you know, they're just going to be able to multiply and because everyone's going to have so much enjoyment of it and it just naturally organically will spread. And um, Yeah. 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 It's pretty good. Our scene over in Ireland is, is good to be honest. Um, we've got a lot of good trail centers and man, we're for the size of Ireland that we're on, we're spoiled. There's no doubt about it. It's, <laughs> I've seen, we are spoiled. Yeah. I've seen some videos. I'd love to get out there someday. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good spot. No doubt about it. Um, so before I let you go, cause I know it's getting late and all stuff there, Matt, um, just tell us a wee bit about your scene. What is your mountain bike scene like there? Is there many guys doing it and is it growing and is there many ladies out in the trails yeah. and stuff like that? So our mountain bike scene in Alaska is growing pretty well. So in Alaska, the, the territory, um, I think we're five times larger than the state of Texas. So if you can, if you can look on a map and see Texas and how big it is and compared to the United States and then do like an overlay of Alaska, you'll see how vast our land is. And so what's really cool right now is we're starting to see sex. And so you're seeing sections of populations popping up throughout these little towns and villages. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's only two roadways right in Alaska. And so all the, the, um, primarily most of these villages that are outside that road system, you're getting to either by boat or by plane. And so we're now seeing those mountain bike cultures starting to come into these really cool villages. And now, you know, I've never flown into this little tiny pin drop on the map of, you know, you know Alaska, but there's 2000 people that live there. And now they're posting videos of doing these epic mountain bike downhill trails and, now I want to go take a seven hundred dollar flight out there, so I can go try it. <laughs> go drink my ten dollars a gallon uh, milk while I get money. Uh-huh. Normally, a gallon down here is like three ninety nine, and then down to lower forty eight, like the uh, the heart of America, those forty eight states, it's like a dollar a gallon. So yeah. Um. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the complex is getting really big here. Um, it's really cool. Uh, the the catch now that we're finding, which is something that we're starting up um, as a statewide organization, is based off of the our local single track advocates for Anchorage, their organization. I'm now starting to work with the founders for that, so we can create a statewide mountain bike advocacy group. Because we're starting to see a lot of our mountain bike trails closed because of the growth of mountain bikers and because of the more exploration and we have more people out on the trails, we now have the more negatives of hikers uh, and bikers interaction. And so now Mm. um, we're starting to see our trails get closed, which is unreal because we don't have very many trails as a percentage of how many trails are out there for hiking and multi-use bikes are single digits. So um, to be losing some of those trails is a, not an easy uh 
light to take. So we're uh, yeah, so we're, we're working to start a statewide advocacy group so we can start to protect and gain um, the respect of other users so we can keep growing in uh, mountain bike single tracks. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And you're obviously teaching young kids and all to get into it. Have they get a, a real keen interest in it? Do the kids do? Yeah. Yeah, so you know what's funny is I we didn't I'd say the last year and a half, I have more kids, like youth, um, and females coming into the mountain biking. And so and I would say it's probably because most of those guys have already been those males have already been in the sport. So for you know, for every one new request that we're getting in our Alaska mountain bike uh, Facebook group that's a guy. I'm probably getting four or five that are female right now because they're just really yes, it's unreal and it's really cool because now they've created their own little groups and their nonprofits and so like one of them is a group called Dirt Divas and so all these awesome gals get together and are very welcoming to new people and then they've got every they've got the whole spectrum so they've got their expert riders who are just crazy fast and then they've got their you know no drop rides for mountain bikes and let's introduce you and in, you know into mountain bike riding groups and so they uh it's always fun to catch them on the trail because they always have a smile on their face um and they're just super stoked to be out there riding and it's really a nice change of pace yeah that sounds very interesting now good stuff good stuff so um before you go there, Matt, um, have you any trips planned or anything for the future? You're going down. To, did you say you're going to Arizona there? Yeah, man. So I'm headed down to uh, Arizona here next month and Vegas, and I'll stop in uh, Boulder City and go uh, ride Bootleg Canyon. And yeah, so I'm gonna do uh, about a week of exploring down there. Awesome, awesome. And are you doing anything in the future off the back of working with Dan or anything like that? So Dan and I are talking about our, um, possibly doing a winter bike riding episode where we're going to actually go. We were just talking to him this week um, in the studio, and uh, the thought right now is to actually get him on a bicycle and riding, and we're going to do an episode with him riding out to a glacier. And so we'll ride mm-hmm. fat bike, um, snow, mountain bike trails to a glacier and then go get some more footage that would be awesome that would be amazing yeah cool man i'll tell them that yeah that you think you like that idea yeah no that sounds that sounds epic because the one they done with the guy on the um jet ski yeah like phenomenal you know (laughs) i love the footage i love the footage of him riding behind him and your guy's hair and his face nailing him pop 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 I just I asked him. I said, "Hey Dan, can you taste that hair when it's hitting you in the face?" And he said, "Luckily, it all just tastes like salt." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was cool, man. Yeah, so it's cool. I love the stuff he's doing because it's that wee bit different, you know. He's just got a really cool eye, man. Like, um, as a cinematographer, yes, he's obviously got a phenomenal eye. But as an action sports guy, man, he's not even an action sports guy, and he's capturing some of this stuff so well. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what blew me away because normally when you see stuff like that, you think, well, 
how do they know, <laughs> you know, how mountain biking works? Like, they're not right. going to know what mountain bikers want to see. Yeah. It's, you know, it's going to be filmed like a game of tennis or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was worried about, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> just... it worked oh, he nailed it. Oh, nailed it. Yeah. Did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, I'm well I'll put all the links. I'll let him know. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll put all the links and stuff um, on the show notes about the movie and things like that. And I'll put your Facebook group on there as well, Matt. Cheers. I know you're you're the administrator of that. Um, so people can find out a wee bit more what's happening up around Alaska and stuff. Yeah, and I'll when I'm doing social posts and stuff like that for your episode coming out, I'll I'll um, tag Dan in them so that he knows. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll start getting some more chatter that way for you. Yeah, cool. Uh, so how's the best area for people to find you, Matt? Are you on Facebook? Are you, is it just maybe your Alaskan Facebook group? Is that the best place where people can find out what's happening? Yeah, for sure. I would just say check out, if you're on Facebook, um, look up Alaska Mountain Bike Group and um hit join you'll have to answer a couple questions so i know that you're not a, a spam bot and we'll uh get you approved and you can start checking out all the crazy beautiful alaska rides and uh just breathtaking scenery so and hopefully you know you'll enjoy some of that scenery so much that you'll want to come ride it and uh, if so uh look me up and i'll take you for a ride cool man that sounds absolutely awesome you know you see the crazy thing about doing the podcast there's so many places now i want to go <laughs> and there's so many people have said yeah just come to me and we'll go out and it's, uh, i don't know it's going to take me a few years to do all the rounds it will but you know <laughs> if there's a will there's a way just stay healthy yeah <laughs> <laughs> no more yeah phones. yeah <laughs> cool man well matt listen thanks so much for coming on man it was a pleasure speaking to you cheers brother and... i appreciate you having us on and uh thank you very much and um, yeah i'm stoked that you enjoyed it and look forward to hearing um some more of your awesome podcast so please keep up the yeah. content man cool man thanks so much and uh let us know keep in contact if you do that other story with dan and um we can maybe chat to you about that a wee bit later on and stuff because that's really really interesting um it's mountain biking but it's very different mountain biking yeah but you know that's one of the fun things about the fat biking on the snow is our trails you lose the small chatter like in your traditional mountain bikes you know when you're riding and you'll feel those little bumps or pebbles or stones Mm. or roots or ruts whatever you have in your area those are all smoothed out when the snow comes in so our our single track that's here um that we're riding you're actually faster in the snow time on it and so now you're just taking these gnarly fast berms even faster and on slick snow um and just putting them all together now the jumps are um they're perfect because you get to get out there and groom them and um now you have soft landing, so when you crash on the side, you're crashing on snow. Um, so it's <laughs> totally a they're parallel universes that are one and the same. It's really a, a fun time. Wow, that sounds awesome because I thought it would be so slick that you'd be going a lot slower, you see. Yeah, so well so now that's where I'm learning stuff on the ski stuff, on like on the winter sports. Like you're a skier, so you know like there's different waxes um, to use for different conditions. And so it's the same thing with fat biking is you have different conditions. And so if it's a wet slushy day, 
you're not going to be going as fast because you're going to slip out. But if you're having one of those perfect days that's right after all that fresh snow is set up, it's just like a buffed out dirt. And so if you're not having to worry about sliding out and then now you don't have any of those little stupid that makes them fun on a mountain bike, like a full suspension bike, having all those little bumps, mm. but on a, on a rigid fat bike there, I don't want bumps. And so you just get to smooth trail and, uh, you get to go rip it. And it's just, and then the, the scenery changing, you know, having all the dead lives and vegetation to where all you're seeing is branches. And then as the snow is melting, like watching that growth happen. And in Alaska, um, down here in Anchorage, um, in particular, cause we, we're, it's so wet, um, that it's overnight. I mean, you get almost 20 hours of daylight in the summertime. And so with all that wetness and then the, all that sunlight, mm. our oats almost overnight, everything turns green. And so then, and then, yeah, and then you start watching in the fall where you get all these beautiful yellows and oranges and reds and um, everything and, and brown and it just starts coming down the mountain and just taking all the green away. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's science cool, man. It's pretty cool. Anyway, I hope you yeah. guys like it. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, thanks so much. I know it's uh, late there, so I'll let you go and get to your bed. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so thanks so much again, Matt, for coming on. It was awesome chatting to you. My pleasure, and we'll talk to you soon. All the best, dude. Good night. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed episode number 60 with Matt. And Matt, thanks so much for coming on, bro. I really did enjoy our chat. And it was awesome to get you on the show. I know it was quite late for you there and all at night. So I appreciate you coming on. And uh, you guys seem to have a great scene there. And I've been following it ever since we had a chat. So um, I hope that keeps going well for you there. And um, everything you're doing with Dan in the future, I hope that goes well for you as well. Um, I really did appreciate you coming on. So thanks so much, dude. And folks, if you want to hear more about Dan, read a wee bit more about Matt as well. Just go to the show notes www.mtb-tribe.com you can search for episode number 060 and it will pop straight up there and you'll get a wee bit more info about the show and links and stuff to Dan and to Matt as well you can see what Dan's doing as far as photography and the filmography stuff goes it's really cool I, I really encourage you to check it out it's, it's awesome stuff uh, the scenery and all and the colours are amazing Um, So please check that out. And folks, thanks so much for listening this week. If you want to get more involved, just go to the website, www.mtb-tribe.com. You will find everything you need on there. You can get in contact. You can subscribe. Just drop me a bell if you want to know anything more about the show or you want to hear about certain guests. You can also follow us on socials, Instagram and Facebook, at Tribe. And for everybody listening on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify, thanks so much. And again, just please help the show out by sharing. Just take a screen snap and share it with friends. Post it up on your socials. That will really help the show a lot. So folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for being here. And I will speak to you next week on another episode of the MTB Tribe Podcast.